remember my first love affair. Somehow or another, the whole darn thing went wrong. But my mama had some great advice, so I thought I'd put it in the words of this song. I can still hear her saying, Boy, 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 oh, I see you sitting out there all alone. Crying your eyes out, cause the woman that you love is gone. was Only the Strong Survive, a single by Jerry Butler, known as the Iceman. And this is podcast number 129, entitled First Infinite Frost, and it is dedicated to Adrienne Parks, a writer who has encouraged me to make an experiment, of which this is one. It is a story that is absolutely true. It's true in every single detail I'm going to tell it. And if you'll bear with me, without needing to know exactly what this is about, it's short, but without needing to know exactly what it is about, the character of the events that are described, I think, are stunning. And certainly for me, devastating. And also important. And hopefully the kind of languor that came into the play may speak to the kind of languor that you've experienced yourself. And maybe, as art is meant to, illuminate that which is lying deeper within it and underneath it, and which at the time I scarcely saw. But I'll tell the story, and the story begins, there are really three moments in the story. The story begins in the late 
winter, early spring, very early spring of 1969. And uh, we were living on the seventh floor of the Morrison residence at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where Archie Sutton, whose real name was Archibald Eubank Sutton, and I were roommates. The custom of the day was to put members of the freshman honors program on the seventh floor of Morrison residence, and if you were a Moorhead scholar, to try to put you rooming with Moorhead scholars from other boarding schools or private schools. And uh, it was a good policy because it gave us a little bit of a comfort level as we often came from settings which were entirely different in every sense that we could imagine, this great state university, from what we had uh, experienced only months before. And uh, it was very hard landing, so they um, softened the landing by putting us together. And Archie and I were assigned the uh, same very tiny room, which still exists, 713 in the Morrison dorm, and we got to know each other. He had been the valedictorian at the Episcopal High School, and uh, I knew Episcopal well, and he knew about St. Albans School well, and we had a lot of laughs together. And he was very much a Southerner from Tappahannock, Virginia, and I did not think of myself as a Southerner. And a lot of things he knew I didn't really know about, and a couple things I knew about were new to him. But I think we respected one another, and we both loved Tchaikovsky, us and Joe Meek, as it turned out. And... Um, we uh, were both intellectuals, uh, actually, in the context in which we lived, although he masqueraded better than I did because he was also a jock, very fine athlete, wiry, rangy, rather short character with incredibly piercing black eyes and pursed, precise mouth and nose. And we got on very well. And in the late winter of 1968-69, we're in room 713, and I have on the radio listening to a song that I loved. I didn't really identify with it thematically, but I loved the song. It was by Jerry Butler, and it was called Only the Strong Survive. And I said, well, golly, I'm glad I'm in not that situation. But he sort of was. Uh, he had had a girlfriend from a girls' boarding school somewhere, and he had they had uh, not really worked out in the first year in college. And I was involved in a relationship that was all-consuming uh, with someone at a nearby university, the reason I'd been, and we had a lot in common that way. But he was um, beginning to find his own voice or his own role in ROTC, Naval ROTC, where I think he became company commander for our year. And I was much less interested in that. Little did I know that only two years later I'd be wearing the same uniform on active duty. But um, he... Uh, and that's the story. But Archie was um, very much uh, the ROTC uh, man, beautifully dressed, natalie dressed in his naval uniform, always with his clipboard and his physics books, because although he was an English literature-type major, he was actually, I think, studying physics and astronomy. And I one day said to him as he walked out in his uniform and his clipboard, I said, Archie, you're just missing a whistle. <laughs> he didn't think that was funny. He didn't have much of an ironic sense of humor, but probably my jokes were intended as slight put-downs anyway, so he was probably right. But uh, in any event, uh, Archie and I um, were there one morning. He went out with his coffee on this frosty day with the um, sort of sleeting down, light snow, which was unusual in Chapel Hill. All the grits, as we used to call them, the local state university students, were they, they didn't know about snow, and they'd always wear the funniest kind of old, we would call them thrift shop wear almost now. We would wear our sort of long tweed 
coats and they'd be wearing these odd, strange jackets. I don't know where they got them from. And yahoo, we, we were snobs, utter snobs, but we sort of had affection for these guys. They would just, in snow, they would just become unrecognizably um, uh, just uh, a whole other mood came over the campus. And he was going off in his neat uh, ROTC uniform and I was going off to my silly class in ancient Greek or something. And I remembered it. It was like a moment that you remember forever. Jerry Butler, ROTC, Chapel Hill, beautiful snow, odd sociology for us, and uh, Paul and his little world consumed with thoughts of someone not so far away in a neighboring city, very neighboring. Well, I'm going to take you about 14 months or 15 months later, and this story has a point. And if you've been willing to sort of listen to just to kind of a reminiscence, uh, I hope you have, because there's a, there's a grievous point to this story. About 15 months later, I'm in New York City. I think I'm probably with um, someone that I loved at the time, possibly the same person, but we were in the middle of all sorts of terrible comings and goings in our own relationship. Little did I know that under my very nose was the person who I would ultimately join forces with forever. But uh, that relationship was in a different uh, sector of life, a different zone, simply because of other calendar reasons and also the prearranged earlier thing I was bringing with me from Washington. And uh, I'm there in, uh, alone at this point, uh, going down the staircase in the uh, Pan Am building, the staircase that descends from the what was then the Pan Am building down to uh, Grand Central Station. And uh, it's rush hour, and there are trillions of people going down, and there are trillions of people coming up on this long escalator, which is still there to this day. And as I'm going down, I see Archie, Archie Sutton, coming up the other staircase. And I'm shocked, and I say, Archie, Archie. Remember Petulia? But this is real. This happened. Archie. And there were too many people for me to run back up the staircase and meet him at the top of the staircase he was going. So I had to go all the way down to the ground floor, then get on the uh, butt my way into the huge line of rush hour people going the other way, going up the staircase, and wait till we got to the top. And then I got to the top, and I feverishly, panic-stricken, desperately said, Archie, Archie. And I couldn't find him, and I couldn't see him. He wasn't anywhere there. And then I said this to myself, but loud enough to have been heard if you've been standing next to me. I said, God damn it, damn it to hell. Now, why in the world would that outburst, which was uncharacteristic, have come? Well, maybe you've already guessed it. By that time, by that moment, on the staircase, the escalator down to Grand Central Station, Archie was dead. He had died about three, two, three, four months before the exact chronology I've forgotten, but not the emotional chronology. He had died. We had been on early spring break in the spring break of 1970, or the it may have actually been the end of the Christmas vacation. And I got a phone call from my other roommate. Now we were living in Carborough, North Carolina, three of us Moorhead scholars and all members of the Delta Upsilon fraternity of Chapel Hill. And I got a call from my other roommate friend. He said, Paul, Archie has drowned. Archie's dead. I couldn't believe it. I mean, we'd just been together. 
just been together five seconds, it seemed like, before that. And I couldn't believe it. And he said, you've got to come down immediately. We're all meeting in three days uh, in Tappahannock, Virginia, to to be at the funeral. And I climbed into the little Volkswagen that I had at the time from D.C. and got in the car and drove down there. It was about three and a half hours. And got to Tappahannock, maybe two and a half, but not in those days it was about that. And uh, I knew where he lived because I'd visited him. He lived right on the Rappahannock River. And there was a long, long stretch of kind of a, almost like a country road to get to where his parents lived. He was uh, the only son. There were two children. He had a sister, wonderful person. And we got out. I got out of my little Volkswagen. It was a rainy day, the kind of rainy day that you get in Virginia, which is not cold enough to snow, but very just just dismal. And a classic late winter's rainy day in Virginia, and, and not um, tropical, but not New England, and just grim. And this clay road, which went down to where their entrance to their house was, with puddles, uh, big puddles in the road, almost ruts, and uh, rain everywhere. And uh, I didn't know what to expect, but I was there, and I got out of the car, put my raincoat on. Was we were all, you know, I was alone, dressed with a coat and tie, and got out and walked towards the house. You had to kind of go around a bend from my direction to get to the little entrance to their house, the roadway up to it. And as I turned around the bend, I saw eighty of my friends, eighty members of the DU fraternity house. They'd all come up from Chapel Hill. They'd sort of rallied at Chapel Hill and marshaled up. Many in their own cars, but most of them, I think, had actually gotten a bus, gotten on a bus and come up. I think they'd hired a bus, and there it was, and they'd all gotten out of their cars. It may have been they carpooled, but everybody was there. And as I turned the corner, not knowing what to expect, I saw 80 friends of mine. Because when you have a pledge semester in a fraternity, you get to know everybody. You, you have to. And I knew every name and every look and every hometown. And they, I saw 80 young men with looks of anguish. Nobody knew what to think, what to say. Everybody had loved Archie. We'd all, I'd lived with him and knew him a little better, but I'd loved him too. And everybody loved him. And there we, this anguish. And as I passed, what went through my mind, strangely enough, is I don't want to be in this fraternity anymore. That was my thought. My thought was, I don't want this too much pain. I can't, this is, this is too much for me. I couldn't, I just didn't want to, you know, I haven't got time for the pain. I didn't, I didn't want to be involved in the pain. And as these, especially the pain of love, it was all this love coming, love, um, dissociated love, or love that had nowhere to go, or untutored love, or love that was, that was sort of chaotic, or love that, bull in a china shop type love. All these, nobody had ever been through this. Very few of us in that group had ever actually lost someone we knew, really knew, at that age. It was a new experience. Ever since then, I've conducted funerals of young people who've been killed in car crashes, or more particularly, who've killed themselves. And then everybody turns out, and it's a sort of a, a tremendous ballyhoo of sentimentality that you is often based on not really knowing the person, but more the idea of a young person dying, which is hell in itself. But here, these everybody knew him, knew him. We all knew each other. And I immediately said, I don't want to be part of this. But of course we were. And it was even worse. Because when we got into the house, which was a large one-story house, I'd been there before, but here I was again. There was this huge portrait of Archie that had been painted when he was a student at a uh, senior sixth former at uh, Episcopal High School and it was over the fireplace and his father was there with a look of grief that was so past human understanding I never recovered in my life he was a dear gentleman and he was uh, stoic but utterly real very devout Christian and they were utterly real Christians and his mother she was the she looked worse than anyone I had ever seen in my entire life who I'd consciously known I had never seen 
a woman who was as destroyed as Archie's mom was. She looked at him. He took after her. He had the same pursed lips and precise nose and piercing black eyes and uh, searching, uh, penetrating glance that she did. And there she was, Archie, in the body of his mother and his poor bereft dad. And, of course, the sister was doing everything with her wonderful husband and children. Oh, well... I say that because that was the prelude, and I got out of there. I, we went, and we did it, and I got out. And uh, I'll never forget it, obviously, but um, I suppressed it. You know, you do at that age, or at least I did. And it was only three months later in New York when I saw Archie. Archie! And went careening around a rush hour crowd in Grand Central and couldn't find him. And then I said those words I uttered earlier. And then the grief and the shock and the, it didn't seem like anger, it seemed like anger, but it was more like complete frustration or the complete inability to do anything, to have any impact at all. Archie, God damn it, damn it to hell. And then I went uh, back to Chapel Hill and was preparing to change colleges, which I did very quickly after that. A relationship fell apart in the meantime, the one which had been threatening to. And I couldn't get out of Chapel Hill fast enough, although there was one person that I'd met there that I never could forget in a, for a second. But I almost didn't know it because with this uh, bereft house that I was living in with my other roommate, with a room that even had a partially typed term paper in it, and when his parents and his sister actually came to collect all his things in his room and had to actually un at that time, I didn't have a room of my own. I was rooming with Archie. There were two bedrooms, and I was rooming with Archie in the same room, as we had the first year. We weren't split up yet, and uh, the pain of it was too much, but I'd encountered the pain in New York. And that's the story of the death of Archie Sutton. Now, I just want to... Uh, I think I told you how he died. He was in a sunfish, went out unadvisedly in the Rappahannock River after Christmas, and probably the sail hit him, or the jib, whatever it's called, hit him, swung, he swung around and with a sudden wind, and he didn't see it, and he was knocked into the river, and it was too cold to survive, especially if you were unconscious, and he, he probably, <coughs> he probably um, froze in shock, and his muscles wouldn't move um, after he'd only been in there, you know, 25, 30 seconds, because it was freezing that winter, and his body was not recovered for, I think, possibly... 30 days or even 60 days it was recovered finally it washed ashore but um, there it was only the strong survive that indelible memory on the escalator at Grand Central Helmsley Pan Am and then the running into 80 anguished faces in Tappahannock now the final PS is rather touching. I was down there uh, another year. I had gone to another college in the Northeast and I'd gotten a friend of mine to come down on a kind of double date for a weekend to a fraternity function that was much loved and we always had such a good time called Founders Day at the DU House in Chapel Hill. And I was much more concerned about making a good impression on him, let alone the sort of blindish date that I had, that is to say a girl that I liked but didn't really know. And uh, I was really not thinking about my past. I was thinking about the present and uh, making an impression on both this young lady and uh, this new friend from college. And uh, 
But, you know, you can't get away with it because none of that's important looking back on it now. It's moderately important. I do remember dancing to Oma Oye Come Va by Santana in the dance that we had, a classic fraternity dance. But even then I felt a little distanced. But I wasn't distanced at one point. In the afternoon champagne party, as it was always called, in front of the DU house, which they still have, I... Uh, I think I had to go into the house to get another bottle of champagne and run into the house for some reason. Walked into the fraternity house, which I knew so well, and which I'd left, long left, to go to another place, another place of worship. And uh, as I walked in, right in front of me was Archie again. But this time in the form of a photograph. As I say, he was much loved, and to this day there's a, uh, an award annually given at uh, the Episcopal High School in his honor, to an outstanding senior student. And there's also, uh, for many years, there was a, I think there was even a DU award. But there was Archie's uh, photograph, and uh, it was the photograph from his sixth form year at Episcopal. And underneath it, it said, to the memory of Archibald Eubanks Sutton, beloved brother and friend from his brothers of the, whatever it was, the something chapter of Delta Upsilon, UNC Chapel Hill, 1969 to 1970. Oh, my God. <sighs> deep breath. And that's what I remember about that weekend. That's what I remember about the spring of 1970. That's what I remember about Christmas 1969. And that's what I'll forever remember about Jerry Butler, the Iceman, the sleet, the infinite frost of his remarkable song. And I'll leave that with you. And you'll understand the reasoning behind the song which now follows. So 